So this summer, while I was away from my day-to-day ministry, uh, I wasn't completely detached from the rest of the world, all right? I was listening to the news, I was reading things, and, and twice this summer, something came across my news feed that, that really kind of forced me to take a step back and then really um, ushered in for me this message that I want to give, give today. The, the first thing that I saw was, was the news that a, a former pastor and an author, uh, a person who's been kind of a contemporary of mine as far as um, our ministries and how they've coincided and as far as time is concerned, a guy by the name of Joshua Harris, pastor of a, of a large church in Maryland. Um, he had left that church a few years ago, he said, to continue on his studies. But then he announced uh, during the summer that he was separating from his wife. Actually, they clarified later and said, no, we're actually divorcing. And then one week after that, this man who's been a pastor, who's, whose books I've read, came out and said, I just also need to be clear that I've had a change in, in my life to the fact that I no longer consider myself a Christian in, in the way that any person who understands Christianity would call themselves a, a Christian. Um, for myself and for other friends who are in ministry, it kind of set us back a little bit to be able to see somebody that we knew of and who, who we had read to make that kind of a pronouncement. And, and then just a few weeks after that, uh, another man by the name of Marty Sampson, who has been a Christian songwriter, written for uh, Hillsong, and has written songs that you probably have heard on the radio, came out with the same announcement. He said, he said I've gone through what they call a deconversion experience. I've, I've given up the Christian faith. I'm, I'm no longer a, a Christian. Now, let me pause there and say, listen, it, only bad news typically makes the news. Can I get an amen to that? Right, for, for every Marty Sampson and for every Joshua Harris who are prominent figures who turn away from the faith, there are hundreds and thousands and millions who are coming to faith, okay? But nonetheless, when those people make those announcements, people that, that others have, have looked up to, it, it can kind of, it will force you to this reality that sometimes living the Christian faith, living our lives as followers of Jesus Christ in this world can be a, a difficult thing. In fact, both in the words of Joshua Harris and of Marty Sampson, the, these men who have made these pronouncements, what you discover uh, about them is they say how it's been so hard for them to, to reconcile what the world is telling them and, and what they have grown up but believing. And so I think that they've taken the road more traveled and, and they've simply said it's easier for me to abandon the Christian faith than, than to continue to fight against this stream. And so here's the message that I want to have for us today. It's a message that's actually found in the book of Hebrews. So I would invite you to open your Bibles or turn in your electronic devices to that book. It's a message in Hebrews chapter 12. And I come to you today as one of your, one of your pastors, one of, one of you who is, who is in, this, in this life, this Christian faith, wanting to encourage our hearts to say, when, when the world is shouting against us, you know, this is the way it should be, and the Christian faith and the Word of God is calling us to something else, what, well, what encourages our hearts? What helps us to stay on the path? What, what makes us able to keep living for Christ in this world? And sure enough, the book of Hebrews is this book that, that speaks so perfectly to this, this, this topic. Um, there are a lot of great books in the Bible. They're, in fact, they're all great. 
But, but Hebrews chapter 12 in particular really hits this right on the head because the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, is writing to a church, writing to a group of believers who are, are kind of at their wit's end, who are, who are struggling in the world and wondering, can we stay faithful? Should we stay faithful? And here's what God, through the author of Hebrews, has to tell them. I'm just going to read the first three verses, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I love this passage of Scripture. In fact, I would say to you this morning, if you're looking for a few verses to memorize, these might be the verses for you. Are there times in your life where you grow weary? Are there times in your life where you grow faint-hearted? Are there times in your life where you're wondering, is all of this worth it? Well, the author of Hebrews says, yes, yes. Stay the course, stay the path. And he comes and he says, here's how. Now, one of the first things that he does in this passage is is he comes in these very first verses and, and he says, the most significant thing that, that, that will aid you in this life that you're living, the thing that you need in order to encourage you to continue on is this. You need to have the perspective that your life is a race. If you're going to stay faithful on the way, you need to have the right perspective on your life. You need to have the right perspective as far as what is exactly going on. If you have the wrong perspective, if, if you don't have the perspective that your life is a race that can cause problems for you in your walk with Jesus. I was reminded of the importance of, of perspective. Um, after watching a, a, a movie from the 80s this, this summer, I don't like using movie illustrations, but this one works, so bear with me, okay? There was a movie back in the 80s, I'm dating myself a little bit, called The Three Amigos. Does anybody remember this movie? All right, yeah, all right. I got Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy, Chevy Chase. And they're, they're these, in the movie, they're living in the early 1900s, and they're silent movie actors. And, and so things aren't going so well for them that they get dropped from their studio. But right when they get dropped from their studio, they get a telegram from a gal in Mexico who saw one of their movies and thought that they were real-life cowboys. Because in all of their movies, they were the three amigos, these, these people who fought against injustice in the world. So she saw one of their videos, and, and so she sent this telegram and said, would you come to Mexico? And there was some miscommunication in the telegram, and they thought that they were going to Mexico to put on a show, when in reality, she was inviting them to Mexico to fight. Does anybody remember the villain's name? El Guapo, right? Yeah, El Guapo, this, this evil guy. So the three amigos, they get down there. Their perspective is we're actors here to put on a show. And so they part, start to put on a show in front of the villain, El Guapo. And then he tells, El Guapo tells one of his men to fire a bullet, just to just kill one of them, he says. And so the guy fires a bullet, and one of 
Steve Martin, he takes, takes a real bullet in the arm, and he says, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. So what's going on here? And he goes to his buddies, and he says, look at this. They're firing real bullets, not blanks. They thought that they were putting on a show. And in that moment, you see Steve Martin's perspective change. He realizes, oh, oh, we're not here to put on a show. They thought we were here to fight in a battle. And it changes everything. The three amigos run away. Eventually, they come back. They save the day, whatever. But the reality is, when the yeah, spoiler, sorry, uh, the reality is, if you, anyways, the reality is they go into a situation with one perspective. They are ill-equipped for what's about to happen, and they almost die because of it. Had they understand what was really going on, things would have been greatly different. And I'm here to tell you today, many times we have the wrong perspective on our life. We don't understand what God is saying here as a way of actually encouraging and helping us. He says, I want you to see your life as a race. He literally says it. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside all the sin and the weight which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why is it important for you and I to hear God's word and to recognize your life and my life is being compared to a race? Let me give you a couple of things really fast. Number one, listen. By the way, God doesn't, you know, use words flippantly. When he says something in his word, he has a meaning behind it. Think about this. Races have purpose. Every race has a purpose. God doesn't say here that your life is a hike, that your life is a walk, that your life is a jog, nor does he even say it's a journey. He says your life is a what? A race. And races have purpose. They are established at a certain time, at a certain place, for a certain end. A race has a purpose, and a race has a set course. And a race has rules for competition, the right way to run the race. Races, by definition, require exertion from the people who are running. Races always have an end, and those who complete the race, they receive recognition for doing so. God comes to us in this, and he says, as you are going on in this life, as you're living the Christian life, I want you to see your life as a race. So do you realize what that means for you and I just here today in this place? If God says, you and I right now, you're like, I'm sitting down. I'm not running, but God says you are. In this moment, you're in the race. And so if God says you're running in a race, it means, I love this, this is huge. Some of you need just this alone this morning. It means your life as a Christian has purpose. Yeah, I, I, could I get an amen to that? There is not one person here whose life caught God by surprise and who is covered by the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ that God is saying, I just don't know what to do with that person. He says, your life is a race. Your course has been set. It's been set by me. Pastor Tony did a fabulous job last week in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and one of the things that he spoke to us from the word of God was the sovereignty of God and his control over everything. Sometimes we can wonder, why am I here? What is the point? God says, I have, a, I have you in a race. Your life has a purpose. It also means that there is a set course for you to run. A set course for you to run. And nobody's going to screw it up. You can't screw it up. You can't deviate from it. Sometimes we wonder why the things are happening to us that happen to us. 
God says, listen, you need to see your life as a race. Every race has a specific course. It doesn't change mid-race. There's a course that's being run for you, a course that's being run for me. It means that there are a particular way to run the race. That there's, God has defined the way that, that life in this world is to be lived, and he, and he wants us to know it so as we run the race, we can run the way that he wants us to. It means you're not going to be surprised when it takes exertion on your part. If your life and my life is a race, sometimes we're like, oh man, this is, this is hard, this is, this is difficult, this is a struggle. Yeah, guess what? All races are. No race is a breeze. There's going to be exertion. So now, for me, as I was studying this passage this week, I'm like, sometimes difficulties come, and sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'm striving, and there's energy involved in the thing that I'm, that I'm doing, and I realize, well, well, wait a sec, if it's a race, why am I surprised that, I'm, that I have a difficulty right now? Either of my own doing or not of my own doing. And for some of you, maybe this is the encouragement. Um, if your life is a race, it means that you can know it's going to come to an end. There's a definitive point in which the race will come to an end. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Do you have the perspective that your life is a race? The Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this Light and momentary affliction is storing up for us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. Later on, Paul would write at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he says, I fought the fight. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul got it. Paul saw it. In fact, he goes on to say, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's just this encouragement that comes when we, when we, when we see, oh, my, I'm not meandering aimlessly. This isn't a walk that's not going anywhere. This isn't just a, just a hike for the sake of taking a hike. Sometimes you want to tell somebody to take a hike. That's not what this is. This is, this is a race. And this is the perspective that the author of Hebrews is asking us to have. Now, the, the verses here, they don't just say, take this perspective of your life as a race and then take to heart what that ultimately means. It also comes and it says, here's how the race is run. If you're, if you're in the race, if you're engaged in it, there, there's a way for you to run this race in such a way that you don't lose heart. And the very first thing that he says to us is back there in verse 1. Look at it again with me. If you're in the race, and if you're running, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The, the first thing here that, that we receive from the Lord as to how the race is run is in this verse. Right here, there is an image being used by the author that is really powerful, that's meant to encourage us even as we sit here today. And it's this. As you and I run the race, as we live our Christian faith in this world, look up 
stop, take a moment, look and see that others have finished this race and are cheering you on. When it says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author of Hebrews is coming, and he's actually using uh, an ancient illustration. See, in the ancient world, races like the one that is being referenced here were run in in stadiums. They were run in stadiums where there could be up to 50,000 people. In, In fact, this summer... Han and I were blessed on my study trip that we took to Greece. One of the places that we were able to go was to Olympia, where the Olympic Games had been held for hundreds and hundreds of years. And and they've dug up the old stadium where the races like this were run, and we got to walk through the tunnel that goes into that stadium. And you come through the tunnel, and you can look, and on either side of this this track are, are these seats that have been uncovered where where up to 50,000 people would have sat and cheered on those who are in the race. Now, here's what's so unique, and here's what's so important, and here's what's so encouraging about this. The author here is telling us that when we're running our race, when we stop and when we look up, the people that are in the crowd cheering us on are not Monday morning quarterbacks. They're not people who have no idea what our races are going to take. He says, therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's saying, stop for a moment. When you're thinking about the race that you're running, look up. Look back. Look at the history of those who have gone before you who are now there looking at you, looking at me, cheering you on, saying, I have completed the race. I've done it. I've gone before you. It's it's possible. The Lord was faithful and he was with me. And if he was with me, he was with you. He says that we're surrounded by people who have gone before us. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, the entire chapter before this, is the author of Hebrews recounting men and women of the faith who have gone before, who have suffered hardships, who have experienced things that the author of Hebrews says, you guys haven't even experienced yet. And yet they remained faithful and they completed the race and now they're cheering you on. In fact, the author of Hebrews says of some of them, he says, the world was unworthy of these type of people. And it's those people who have kept the faith who themselves have finished the race, who are now surrounding us, even now, even in heaven, and they're coming and they're saying, you can do it. God is faithful, and he will help you. He helped us. We've completed the race. I don't know about you, but when I get outside of myself, even just for a moment sometimes, and I look at those who have gone before, it, it helps me to realize you know what? I can finish this race. Race. I can stay faithful. I can finish well. And I'm not alone. I'm not the only person going through this. So the author of Hebrews comes and he says, look, look up, be encouraged. How do we run this race? 
we look and see those who have gone before and we take encouragement from them. But then he comes and he says something else. He comes and he makes very clear here that you and I, as we run this race, are to rid yourself and myself of anything that weighs you down as you run. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Does, does anybody have any idea in the ancient world what the runners were, were wearing when they ran in the Olympic Games? Yeah. Nothing! They ran in the nude, and they ran in the nude because they did not want anything on their person that would slow them down. Even today, athletes get the lightest fabric and the lightest clothing. Why? Because running a race just by itself takes enough out of you. Why add to it? And so the author of Hebrews is saying, consider your lives for a minute. No one in their right mind is going to put on a backpack with rocks in it to run a marathon. And specifically, the, the author is, is coming here and he's saying to us, listen, the, the weight and the burden that you are unnecessarily Carrying, if you're not careful, is sin. For the follower of Jesus Christ, one of the glorious truths above all is this truth that we enter into the world as sinners and then we live out our sinful nature by our actions and our speech and our conduct. And every single person, every time we sin, brings upon us a weight and a debt for our sin. But Jesus Christ comes into the world and he saves sinners by dying on the cross, by paying the wage for your sin and my sin so that we are now free from the guilt, the weight, and the condemnation that our sin justly deserves. Praise the Lord for that. He, he releases all of the weight of our sin from us. In fact, I want to be really clear here. One of the things that distinguishes Christianity from any other religion in the world is this very fact. You see, Jesus doesn't come and forgive you of your sin because you've run the race well. You, you understand me? You don't get into the race because of what you do. You're tracking with me. You, you get into the race, you are forgiven of your sins because Jesus, out of grace and mercy, comes and saves sinners like you and me, and he removes every weight of sin from us. So then what's the author talking about? What's the sin that you and I still need to remove? Look, again, not a perfect illustration, but, but I want to give you this. We did a lot of traveling this summer. Any of you have these in your house? Suitcases, yeah? What he's talking about here is this. That the fact of the matter is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are freed, we are washed clean. There is not a stain of sin on us in the eyes of God. And yet... And yet, as we live in this world, not yet in our full redemptive state, not yet in glory with our, our Father, do we still sin? Anybody here this morning probably said, did something? We, we, we all still manifest sin. And unconfessed sin, sin that we don't bring before Jesus Christ, that's why we take time every Sunday morning to just stop and have a time of confession. See, see what happens is we go about in this life, and I can't believe I'm doing this, it's like 90 degrees out here, but... but but we, we, we sin in some way, shape, or form, and, and so, so we add things to ourselves. 
Maybe I got angry with my girls. Never happens, but maybe. And I don't, and I don't deal with it. And, and, and maybe somebody sinned against me. And, and, and again, I, I don't take the means of God's grace to address it. I don't confess it. I don't bring it back up to him. And so I, so I cling to it. I, I, I keep it as a part of me, and I get, and I get bitter. And so I, so I throw on a backpack. And, and then the next thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm going through the next, next day, and I'm being impatient with my coworkers. I never do that. I'm never impatient. They can testify. And, and, and so, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking all of this baggage with me, and, and then I got my suitcases, and I'm like, all right, let's go. I'm ready. I'm going to run this marathon. Now, who in their right mind is going to try and run 26 miles like this? You'd look at me and you'd say, you're, you're crazy. Why, why, why are you taking this luggage with you? See, what the author of Hebrews is doing right here is he's saying, this is, though, sometimes how we function. We have sin in our lives, things that we haven't taken back to the Lord. First John says, and, and Paul and, and John did a great job of preaching it this summer, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in the eyes of God, we're cleansed, but if you and I don't come and confess our sin, if, if we don't acknowledge that there's still things that, that God needs to address in our lives, yes, our standing before the Father is righteous and perfect. But the author of Hebrews is saying, you're, you're making this way more difficult. You're taking this baggage with you. And he says, just take it off. Get rid of it. Confess it to the Lord. Don't hold on to these things anymore because you need to run the race. When I was reading it this week, I was thinking to myself about the cloud of witnesses who, who, are, who have gone before us. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I'm sure there are some times as I'm looking to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm not dealing with bitterness or anger or impatience or deception or fill in the blank, and I'm leaving it unconfessed, and I'm just trying to live my life, and, I'm, and I got all this stuff on me, and they're just like, what is Wachnicki doing? Why is he holding on to this? Why isn't he bringing this to the Lord so that he can, so that he can walk in the freedom that's already his? I think this is so important. My question for you, my question for my own heart is, as I'm running the race that God has for me, are there things in my life, things that I'm not dealing with, things that I'm just simply, oh, that's my personality, or, or that's what, that I'm not giving to the Lord? You see, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's saying, listen, if I'm running this race and God has the course for me and there's a way to run it, I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder that. Instead, I want to use all the means of God's grace to help me run this race. And one of the things is that we can throw off the sin in our lives by bringing it to him. Praise the Lord for that. But then there's two more things. I'm going to run through this next one really fast because the last one is the most glorious of all. Just a note about how this race is run. Be aware of the nature of, our, of the race. 
be aware of the nature of the race. Our lives are not a sprint. Your life, my life is not a sprint. Sometimes we want the quick, easy fix to it. But he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That implies that the race that we're running, it's going to require not just exertion, but we, but we pace ourselves in this race. It, it's, it's a long race. It's not one that's over and done with quickly. There's uphills. There's, there's downhills. There are parts of races of any distance that are easier than others. Do, do you see... Do you see your life as, as a race that, that's not a sprint? Do you see your life in Jesus Christ as a race that's, that's taking time, that he's doing a work in you? And, and sometimes you're not going to be able to see around the corner. A lot of times you can't see around the corner. So, so sometimes it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like you're just going uphill, and sometimes you're just going to be cruising. I've been in ministry 16 years. Understanding that life is a race, that, that life has its ups and downs has been huge because in the life of even a church, you can see ups and downs. You can see times where it's like, wow, the spirit is moving. It seems like everything's sitting on all cylinders. And sometimes it just seems like it's it's a time of just rest and and not a lot of activity is going on. But that's sometimes how it is in a race. And and so we we stay faithful, trusting that God knows where everything is going to lead. We're not just looking for the quick fix and for the next best thing. And so we take this together. As we run this race, let's be encouraged by those who have gone before. Let us throw aside the weight that clings to us, confessing to the Lord, not letting us walk down the road with unnecessary baggage. Let's keep in perspective our race is not a sprint. But then we come to it. Then we come to the most glorious words of all. How do we run this race? Well, here I come to you and I say, listen, You can look to those who've gone before. You can confess the sins and and make sure that you're not keeping in your life anything that hinders your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have the right perspective that you're not in a sprint but in a marathon. You can do all those things, but if you and I are not cognizant of and don't do this last thing, we'll never succeed. It's found there in verse 2. Are you ready? Here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to know how this race is ultimately run? The author of Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus throughout the race. What's the implication, church family? The implication is there are going to be a lot of things that you can get your eyes fixed on as you're running the race and as I'm running the race. There can be things that, that seem like that's what I need if I'm going to succeed in the life that I have before me. There's going to be other paths to take to say, if I just went down this path, it'd be a lot easier. The author of Hebrews is coming and saying, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And when the author of Hebrews wrote those words, the people that first heard them would have known exactly what he meant. Here's what I mean. In the ancient games, when they would race, Runners in most of the races would run to one end of the stadium, which was a lot further than 100 meters, would run to one end of the stadium, turn around, and then run back. But you'd be disqualified in the race if you got outside of your lane. And so you could have up to 20, 30 runners all sprinting down this field, dust flying in the air, but you needed to go back to where you began your race. So how would they know where to end up? Every runner would have a coach, and that coach 
would stand in the position of where the runner was supposed to finish. And, and so as the runner would go down and then turn back around, who would they look to fix their eyes upon? Their coach. They would look. There he is. That's where I need to go. So when the author of Hebrews wrote this, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, they knew exactly what that meant. They knew exactly that the necessity for running the race well meant keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And he says, why Jesus? Why is, is Jesus so necessary? Why must we fix our eyes on him? He gives three reasons here in closing. Number one, the only reason you and I are in this race in the first place is because of him. The only reason that you have this new life freed from sin, freed from the bondage of sin, the ability to run the race unencumbered is because Jesus Christ went before you and went before me. Where did he go? He went to the cross. His death bought our life. And so we look to him. Anytime we're tempted to think that there is life to be found in something outside of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says it's not. There's only death, there's only pain, there's only destruction because Jesus is the author of your faith. It is in and through him alone that you have salvation and new life. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Anytime, anytime the lie begins to seep in that says, you know what? There's more joy to be found. There's life to be found over here, whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's friends, whether it's relationships, whether whatever it is, the author of Hebrews says, none of those things purchased your salvation. None of those things gave you life. You're in the race. I'm in the race because of Jesus. Secondly, the only reason that we're able to actually run the race, the only reason we're actually able to, to live is because he enables us to do so. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus the author and the what? Perfecter of our faith. Paul is going deep here. He, he's, or the author of Hebrews is going deep here. Paul would say later, he says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in, lives in me. The life I live in the body, it's not me living it out. It's, it's me living it by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who, who died for me. If I try and run the race in my own strength, David watching Nikki 10 times out of 10 is going to get exhausted. I'm going to fail. To live a life of holiness and to live a life of righteousness and to seek a life of obedience, if I try and do it in my own strength, if I try and do it to earn the favor of God, the love of God, the whatever from him, I'm not going to be able to be sustained in the author of Hebrews says you don't have to. Look to Jesus. He's the one that enables you each step along the way. Are you trusting in him? Are you believing that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it? Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like, listen, let's have transparency here. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like God was failing you? Where he wasn't living up to his end of the bargain? You don't have to raise your hand. But sometimes we feel that way. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. It's the promise of God to you and I as we run this race. And finally this, the only reason we know how to run the race is because Jesus already did. He's not just our help as we run the race. He is our inspiration. Look at verse 3. Consider him as you run the race. Who, 
endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus went before us. He didn't only purchase our salvation. He didn't only give us his enabling grace to run this race. He says, look to me. Look to me when you are persecuted. Look to me when it seems like the road is easier over here. Look at the road that I walked for you and, and, the, and the things I endured for, for you so that you might not grow faint-hearted. One of the promises of God's word that we don't like, see, we seize a lot of promises from God's word, but one that we don't like is when Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. He also said, if they hated me, they're going to hate what? You. These are things that Jesus said, but take heart for I have overcome what? The world. This is the promise for you and for me. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. How do you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? You're doing it right now. You're gathering with the saints to worship. This isn't rocket science. This isn't something that I'm going to come up to you and give you some kind of magic formula that's going to change how you run the race. I'm going to tell you what God's word tells you. We gather with the saints. We hear the word preached. We surround ourselves with those who can encourage us and point us to Jesus. We, we spend time with our Savior in, in the Word as we do these things. We fix our eyes on, on Him. And He helps us in this journey. And dear church family, here's what I have to say. I pray for those who at this season of their life have said, you know what, I'm giving it up. It's not worth it. I'm taking this road. I pray for those individuals because one of the promises of the word of God that we see in this passage is that those who run the race looking to Jesus and who complete that race by his power and by his grace alone, let me tell you this, the reward makes it all worth it. The reward makes it all worth it. We get a taste of it by looking to Jesus, who the passage tells us is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, he says to us as followers, he says, where I am, guess what? One day that's where you'll be. In this world, you will have struggles, you will have trials. But again, Paul says, this slight and momentary affliction is storing up for me a weight of glory beyond measure. My prayer for our church in this new season and for each individual soul is that we would run with endurance the races set before us. And so I want to close with this. Here's my question. Where do you see yourself this morning? What I mean by that is, are you even in the race? Are you even in the race? Do you have the new life that Jesus Christ offers, or are you living a, a life that seems somewhat aimless and purposeless? I'm here to tell you today the answer to an aimless and purposeless life is only found in Jesus Christ. And so I would invite you this morning to stop trying to run a race for the praise, for the affirmation, for the acceptance of people. I would invite you today to stop running a race for the praise, the affirmation, and the acceptance of God because you can't run the race, you can't even get in the race unless you first acknowledge yourself as a sinner who needs Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is that you this morning? Maybe some of you are, are in the race and you feel that you're, the weight and the burden of it. I, I wonder today, I wonder today for some of us if this message isn't about that point that comes and says we need to bring some things to the Lord. 
We need to confess some sins in our lives and to look to Jesus who forgives those sins. Maybe we need to let some things go this morning. If you, if you want a clear illustration of, of maybe what sin is doing in your life right now, come up here and put on that jacket that I was just wearing and stand right about here, okay? And then I want you to go and I want you to run around the church. Some of you, that's what, that's what we're doing right now. And he says, oh, I'm faithful and just to forgive sin and to cleanse from unrighteousness. Don't, don't pick it back up. Don't, don't take that sin back up. Be free of it this morning. We're going to come to the communion table, and this is going to be an opportunity for us to do that, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to ask yourself and myself the question, have I sought his forgiveness for it all, or are there things I'm still holding on to? And finally, there's some of you that are like, I'm towards the end of the race, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm almost there, and I'm almost tapping out. Uh, my, my, my journey, my, my race, it's almost come to an end. I come to you today, and I say, stay strong in the Lord. Keep looking in, the founder and the perfecter of the faith. And one day you will get to hear these great words, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What a glorious day that will be. And when you and I get there, we're going to see the cloud of witnesses. And they're, and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you, you. We're, we're, we were with you on it. We saw the journey. We were there. We saw the race all along, and now there's still some that are there, and so we want to keep cheering them on. And praise the Lord, until that day comes, we have one another to encourage us in that journey. Amen? Let's pray together, church family. Fathers, we come before you. We need you. We need your word. We need the hope, the encouragement that it brings us. And for our dear church family this morning, Lord, I pray that you would... You'd bind up the brokenhearted, that you would draw to yourself those men and those women who need to know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, who need to know that they've been running aimlessly and they don't have to any longer because, Christ, you are Savior and you are good. And then for those of us, Lord, now is the moment where we can really stop and reflect and say, I take seriously the sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness and the new life that he's bought me. And today's going to be the day where I'm going to stop clinging to this sin or to that sin. I'm going to call it for what it is, and I'm going to give it back to you so I can run in the freedom that Christ, your blood, purchased for me to begin with. And Lord, for those who even today might be growing weary and faint-hearted, oh Lord, may we consider Christ and his example, the one who bore up under the weight of sinner's scorn and ridicule so that we would not tire in the race that we run, knowing that your grace enables us each step along the way. So we pray and we ask these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.